I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew, to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, specifically chapter 6. And we'll start at verse 9 with the uh, Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The, uh, I read it in the King James here because that's uh, probably what most of us are most familiar with when we think or say this prayer. Pray this prayer. Uh, the, uh, the phrase, but deliver us from evil, the way it reads in the King James, is literally, deliver us from the evil one. Uh, most other translations and commentaries would give it that way. But deliver us from the, from the evil one. So uh, the question this morning is, why should we pray for deliverance from the evil one? I'll pause here a bit before we look at that question to insert this, that um, as Christians, we don't want to be, we should not be obsessed with the devil, which we'll be looking at this morning. We, we shouldn't be in a place where we wake up fearfully facing the day and our first thought is wondering, where is he at? And what's he up to now? And that sort of frightening life, which some people superstitiously and uh, in occultic involvements and so forth, it's where they're at, what they live with. But rather, we, we as Christians want to be informed. We want to be knowledgeable about him. When we hear of evil, see it in the headline, or are tempted with evil, or see it in our people that we know, we remember this enemy and his clever devices and his evil purposes. Uh, we don't want to forget, too, that he is a defeated foe. That's a very critical piece of our understanding of, of Satan. And we also think of the restraints and the limits placed on him and uh, the protection for the Christian by the strong deliverer. So our focus is on Christ, not the devil, in uh, living a victorious life. Our focus and our life and our victory comes from Christ, our Savior and Lord, who won a mighty victory over the devil, and he is our defender and protector. So. We, uh, 
we need to have a uh, healthy respect, not a veneration, not a, uh, and even a kind of fear, but uh, we do not need to be intimidated by this, this enemy. A lot has been imagined about the devil, uh, and a lot of it is untrue. So in what we look at today, uh, which will not be exhaustive by any means, but uh, just a review of our enemy and some of his devices, and just to remember that he is a real uh, danger to us, and to uh, be more determined because we love Jesus and belong to him that we will not allow him any foothold to work in our hearts and to uh, better appreciate our security and defense in Jesus Christ. So again, our question, why should we pray for deliverance from the evil one? Well, one reason is because Satan is a deadly enemy. We're assuming, we, we all believe, we're, we're speaking to Christians here because Satan is a deadly enemy. We believe he is real. In 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's an adversary, and he is bent uh, on destruction, destroying people, souls. He's called Abaddon in Revelation, the destroyer. He is a deadly enemy. And the Bible tells us that he is an angry enemy in Revelation 12 and verse 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. You know, uh, to have an enemy is one thing. To have an angry enemy uh, is a little something else. It adds something to it. Uh, it adds a motivation to uh, people who are bent on uh, revenge or justice or whatever against someone. And the devil, this is saying that the devil is highly motivated. He wants to do maximum damage to God and Christ's kingdom while he's able to in the short time whatever, however long that time is, and the time he has left. He is an angry enemy. He is a focused enemy. Uh, he's just not, he's not out there just uh, swinging wildly at whatever gets in his path. He is focused on anything that is dear to God. And what is most dear to God on this earth are his saints uh, and mankind in general. We prayed for the lost and uh, this morning God cares about them. 
and Satan cares about destroying them, and most particularly uh, the Christian who has found redemption. Satan wants them back. He wants to wreck their uh, spiritual life and victory and security, and he wants to bring them down to destruction. Um, in Luke 22, in verse 31, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now the you there isn't just uh, Peter, but all the disciples, and I believe all Christians, but he's especially calling this to Peter's attention. Uh, Satan has asked for all of you is the way uh, the Amplified says it. And he wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to grind you up and destroy you. He is focused. He is a cunning enemy in Ephesians 6, 11. Uh, in 6 there, it talks about the whole armor of God. And he says to put it on, put on the whole armor of God in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 7, moreover, uh, speaking of uh, qualifications for leadership, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And there are other scriptures that we could look at that uh, describe that he is um, thoughtful and cunning in his uh, planning. Now, he is not all wise. He is not uh, omniscient. He is not... He is a created being. He's not uh, the opposite of God, as in God is here and the devil is here. And we'll see at the end of the age who is the winner. But God is God, the creator God, the only God. And the devil is way down here somewhere as uh, a powerful angel and uh, fighting against God and being allowed to... Uh, do damage by God, but ultimately God is in control. But uh, so he's not all wise, he's not all powerful, but he is cunning and he has thousands of years of experience with sinful human nature. And he knows our weaknesses, he knows man's weaknesses and how to uh, exploit them. And there's a lot we don't know about his cunning and about what he knows. Uh, he can't see, I don't believe he can see inside my head and see my thoughts. I, I don't think that he um, saw my thought processes as I was deciding what to preach on. I think he saw my notes. Somebody in the evil kingdom no doubt saw my notes. 
We don't know in just what detail or how all that works. There's a lot of speculation there. We want to err on the side of caution, but he doesn't know everything. But he is effective. He is an effective enemy. In, uh, he has scored some hits among Christians. He certainly has. And uh, he has against me and probably against you also. He is an effective enemy. 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, For this reason... When I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. So Paul knew about the devil and he knew about the church at Thessalonica and he knew about that Christians are not uh, adverse to uh, being affected by Satan and that they can maybe be careless in their praying, deliver me from the evil one. He is effective. And also he is a supported enemy. He's not alone. He is joined, we know from Scripture, by an evil host of fallen angels, demons, that he rules, and they are ready and quick to do his evil bidding. We see a picture in uh, Revelation 12, verse 7, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought a battle between the angels, God's angels and the devil, the dragon, and his angels. And in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a great spiritual battle going on and has been since the creation from the fall of man. All through the Bible, we see examples of people affected by the devil, influenced by the devil, and even Christians uh, who were influenced and somehow spoken to, tempted by, the devil. And so we can see why Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. He is a dangerous and hateful and effective foe. He is man's very worst enemy. And his goal is our eternal destruction. But for as uh, scary as that sounds, 
he is a defeated enemy, as I mentioned. And we are so thankful to know that and say that, that Jesus came. The, Jesus came to defeat the devil and to deliver us from his influence and power. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the, the devil. And in Colossians 2.15 Having disarmed principalities and powers, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, in it. So <clears throat> we can't see what's going on in the spiritual realm uh, around us, but it is very real. It's easy, you know, in our everyday life, just uh, getting up, fixing the bed, and uh, getting dressed and going on to our work of the day in our duties in the shop or the sawmill or building someone's house or washing clothes and working with things, thinking about the things we're working on. And even with prayer and Bible reading, it's, it's because we don't see this uh, dimension it's easy, sort of out of sight, out of mind, kind of not being as aware of the reality of it. And, um, you know, if we could suddenly see what was all around us now in the spiritual world, the angels and the demons, uh, it would probably shock us and startle us. But it is real, and that's why uh, Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant. <clears throat> Satan <clears throat> takes advantage of us in any way he can. Uh, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he was encouraging them in 2 Corinthians, you know, in 1 Corinthians, he said, there's a man there among you who is living in uh, gross immorality and he needs to be excommunicated. And they followed through. They did that. And then in 2 Corinthians, he speaks to this matter and he suggests that it's time to forgive him and bring him back into fellowship again. And he said in verse 11 of chapter 2, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So Paul wasn't uh, ignorant of his devices, of Satan's devices. And he writes as though uh, the Corinthians had some teaching on this as well. <clears throat> so uh, we want to be uh, knowledgeable and informed also. A question. Did the devil make me do it? When somebody sins, who is responsible? And is it the devil? Uh, years ago, 
And I think this, this, uh, this saying still goes around, but years ago, remember, there were T-shirts with this on, written on the front, the devil made me do it, sort of a, a cop-out maybe, the devil made me do it. And some, some Christian teachers, uh, I think, go a little too far in uh, pinning responsibility on the devil uh, by pointing to a spirit of anger, a spirit of lust, or a spirit of jealousy or dishonesty that kind of takes over in a person and that uh, the demons must be rebuked. Uh, and, and I'm not talking here this morning about possession. We're not addressing that subject. There, that is real, and Satan has and does take control of uh, some people's lives. But um, we, we, victory for a Christian is not just uh, getting rid of a demon. There may be demons that specialize uh, in particular sins. In First Kings, we read about a lying spirit. I doubt any spirits or evil spirits are honest. But in the fallen nature, I believe the scripture teaches us there's already a tendency to evil. And we read of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, and it lists off a number, not an exhaustive list, but a list of, of um, wicked things. And um, he says that I tell you that those who practice, who ongoing live that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the works of the flesh are what is produced by the flesh, the sinful flesh, the actions and behavior. When the flesh and its desires are the master. <clears throat> In verse 16, we, I was quoting from Galatians 5. In Galatians 5:16, it says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. James says in chapter one, Verses 13 and 14, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So I think what this is, what this is teaching us uh, is that Satan encourages the flesh, he entices the flesh, a flesh that already has a bent, an appetite, a desire toward sin. And this, uh, in verse 14 there in James 1, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away, when he is lured away. And he's using a term like uh, a trapper or uh, a fisherman who is using a lure or a bait or something that is attractive to, uh, to game or fish to uh, lure it from its place and uh, to grab a hold. 
And our culture, our worldly culture, that is under the domain of Satan and under the influence of Satan and <clears throat> power of Satan, plasters lures out there all over the place. And it's impossible for a Christian living uh, in the present day to not be affected at all by those, or not to be exposed to those lures, sensual lures, prideful, hateful, materialistic, speaking of our Sunday school lesson this morning, lures out there to pull us away from Jesus and uh, the, the life that Jesus calls us to. And that's what, uh, that's what the devil wants us to see. He wants us to see those things out there. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden, they were innocent and they didn't have a sin nature and there were no lures out there until uh, the devil came to Eve in the form of a serpent and appealed to uh, her, to a pride, logic, reasoning, and we see what happened to them from the story in the Bible. And uh, so we, with a fallen nature, Anyone with a fallen nature would be even more strongly pulled than they were. So, the, uh, though Satan takes advantage of man's nature, man, uh, speaking particularly of Christians, we are responsible for the choosing. Victory comes in dealing with the flesh before our Lord and Master and our Savior, Jesus. Man chooses. God calls. Man chooses. God delivers. God gives grace for victory. God protects. God nurtures. But when man is ruled by the old nature, when he is mastered by sin, is surrendered to sin, and is pursuing sin, he is in Satan's camp. And Satan considers him his property. 1 John 3, verse 8. He who sins, that is speaking of a, an ongoing practice of sin, knowingly choosing and pursuing sin. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The New Living Translation, uh, almost a paraphrase, but uh, it's, uh, it says it like this, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil 
who has been sinning since the beginning. Ephesians 2, uh, beginning at verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and practicing sin and pursuing sin. But you who were dead that way, he made alive, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. A, a careless, carnal, worldly-minded Christian. Some would say that's an oxymoron, but I believe that there are... Well, uh, Paul talked to the Corinthians about being carnal. Carnal Christians, weak and struggling Christians. I believe Romans 7 could speak to lost people. I believe it can also talk to uh, struggling Christians who are not living in victory at the moment. Uh, in Ephesians 4, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And this is what I especially wanted to notice, verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. So don't sin uh, and give place to the devil. When we compromise, we give place to the devil. Which uh, uh, in this, it's meaning to make room for, to... Um, there, there's a little space in a life, uh, in a Christian's life who, uh, who makes room for sin. There's a little space there that the devil can claim. Uh, and when he sees a little space like that, it gives him a little room that, to work that isn't there when there's no space. I believe is what this is teaching. Uh, so when the old nature is dealt with and we're submitting to Christ, loving him and following him and living in obedience to his word, Satan has no claim. And where we falter, where we sin and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, blood washed. Satan has no claim. Satan has no claim. But if we choose and allow and pursue uh, disobedience, sin, even small things that would seem like small, there's, uh, there's no way to escape some degree of hold, influence um, from the dark side that um, isn't good for us, unhealthy for us. 
Jesus overcame Satan's temptation. How did he do that? By quoting scriptures? Jesus was very aware of scriptures. But it was more than just saying verses. It was that his life uh, was fully in compliance to the scriptures that he quoted. He gave those as um, his guide, his, his, uh, what he was God's will that he would follow. And it, it wasn't just uh, a poem, uh, some saying that God said, but it was something that he knew and believed and lived. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So first submitting to God, James 4 verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I think that teaches us that the order of things First submit to God, then we're in a position to resist. That's what Jesus did. And then we can say, get thee hence. Jesus said, get thee hence. Uh, after he quoted those scriptures. But if we're not submitted to God and resist, try to resist the devil, I think that the devil only laughs. <clears throat> okay, I, I touched just a little on this, but uh, what access does Satan have to men's minds? Uh, only God is omniscient, Satan is not. But um, in Matthew uh, 13, when Jesus told that parable about the sower sowing seed, this is an important verse. When anyone hears the word of, God, of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. That is not a Christian. That is someone who is hard and resistant. That is not a, an open soil. But somehow Satan has access to that. And <clears throat> Judas, Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. That's a shocking event to read about. And the supper being ended in John 13, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Peter said in Acts 5 to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Satan had some access there. And by what right did he have access? One thing that these people have in, had in common, I believe in each case, they opened themselves to the influence 
and the power of Satan by their own resistance, by their selfishness, their selfish disobedience, and their lack of submission to God. They had given place to the devil. Jesus, when he was explaining the, the wayside hearts in the parable of the sower, he quoted from Isaiah, For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. So he's putting responsibility on them. Their eyes they have closed, their hearts they have closed, their ears are hard of hearing. When you have hearts like that, eyes like that, ears, there's a hearing problem too. And heart problem. These, the hearts of these people have grown dull. When, when man, we could look at other scriptures, of course, but when man decides what he wants, and then he, decide, then he decides who he wants to listen to. And then he gravitates toward those people who teach ways that seem right unto men. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And this is talking about Christians who are trending away from God and from following Christ. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Uh, trying to wrap up here a little bit. Um, Christians have a place of safety. And this place of safety and this deliverance from the evil one is more than reciting the Lord's Prayer. It's more than uh, reciting scriptures. It is not by trying to defend ourselves and to, uh, to uh, stay away from evil things and so forth like that. But it is by the power and the defense and keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the redeemed have safety. In 1 John 5:18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, does not practice sin, does not pursue sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Uh, that uh, part there that says, he who has been born of God keeps himself. 
One translation says it this way, we know that everyone fathered by God does not sin, but God protects the one he has fathered and the evil one cannot touch him. And uh, some commentators, and maybe this is uh, a more accurate way, say that by being uh, in close relationship with God, keeping ourselves in that relationship with God, that we are in a safe place and God keeps us and the wicked one does not touch us. Because he that hath the Son hath life, he who has not the Son has not life. But he who has the Son has protection. He who has the Son stays close to the shepherd. That's where we find, that's the safe place. That one sheep that we sing about in the 90 and 9, out there in the hills away, was not a sheep that stayed close to his shepherd. But he had strayed away. The shepherd cared about him. The shepherd gave his life for him. The shepherd pursued him. And fortunately, the sheep uh, was glad to see the shepherd and came back. But stay close to the shepherds. Is the, that's the safe place. Read and pray. Read the Bible and pray every day. Obey. Have the life of Christ within when we falter, when we fall, we cry for mercy and we're in a place where God hears us and he comes to our aid and uh, when we confess and repent and he will protect us. And we believe that, we sing about it. I was noticing a number of songs that, sing, that uh, refer to this, one being a mighty fortress is our God, just a real anthem of victory, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he, and he speaks about the ancient foe who does, who doth seek to work us woe, his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate, and so on, but there is one uh, who is the conqueror who will who has won the victory over him. Um, another is Abide With Me, a beautiful song in verse three, I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? And this song, it is well with my soul when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. In the second verse, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. So we pray, we should pray 
deliver us from the evil one. And we also pray in that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that is um, including the little realms of our own soul and that we, uh, that the kingdom is here in a Christian's heart and we pray thy will be done in my heart, in my life as it is in heaven. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and in the life of victory. Uh, in each Christian who is living in victory, delivered from Satan and living for God, it uh, glorifies our Savior and our Lord.